This is not your century. This is Not Your Century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. Happy New Year today on the Best of Not Your Century, a couple of stories from the LGBT community. The first one is pretty nasty. It's about the FBI spying on the gay community for decades, despite never finding any subversion, never even finding any crimes. I mean, it's not that they didn't find much or they didn't find more crime than they might have found among straight people. They found zip, nothing, and they kept it up for 20 years. Randy Schultz broke that story for The Chronicle. Later, we'll hear a more inspiring story from 1975, the most public challenge to that point against the ban on gays in the military. September 21st, 1989. In a page one story in the San Francisco Chronicle, Randy Schiltz writes that the FBI had conducted exhaustive and apparently illegal surveillance of the gay rights movement for more than 20 years. The revelation came from more than 4,100 pages of documents obtained by the Chronicle under the Freedom of Information Act. Internal memorandums showed that the Bureau used informants who infiltrated gay rights groups. It tape-recorded meetings, collected lists of members of gay organizations, investigated companies that advertised in gay magazines, took photos of people who took part in early gay rights marches. The decades of surveillance were directed personally by FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. And it wasn't just the FBI. The memos revealed that the Bureau shared information with other government agencies and other arms of law enforcement. Why'd they do that? To help those agencies enforce laws that prohibited the federal government and the armed services from employing known homosexuals. At the time this article was written in 1989, the ban on gays in the military would last, in some form, for another 22 years. The spying began in 1953 during the anti-communist hysteria when law enforcement, especially Hoover's FBI, saw almost everything as subversive. Being gay was commonly seen as no less subversive than being a communist. And on top of that, LGBT people were vulnerable to blackmail by communist foreign agents. It started with an investigation into one of the first national gay rights groups, the Mattachine Society in Los Angeles. The FBI office sent informants to the group's meetings and investigated its leaders. Hoover ordered similar investigations in other cities with chapters of the Mattachine Society, including San Francisco. FBI agents probed the companies that advertised in the society's small newsletter and they investigated businesses that employed members. After six months, the L.A. office closed that investigation. They concluded that the allegations of subversions were, quote, unfounded in fact. But even with the investigation formally closed, the surveillance continued. This pattern repeated itself all over the country, with all sorts of groups and individuals, for more than two decades. One of those groups was the Daughters of Belitis, founded in 1955 by Phyllis Lyon and Del Martin, who 49 years later would become the first same-sex couple to be legally married in San Francisco. The Daughters of Belitis was the nation's first social and political organization for lesbians. They knew about the surveillance. Phyllis Lyons said, We knew at times that our phone was tapped, but we didn't know what good it would do anybody. They'd just get bored hearing long conversations between Dell and her mother. 
Starting in 1962, the Washington chapter of the Mattachine Society became one of Hoover's favorite targets after Frank Kameny became its president. He was an astronomer who'd been fired from a civilian job by the U.S. Army in 1958 after the Army had learned of an earlier arrest for solicitation, a common charge used against gay people. He became an activist, attacking the federal policy of summarily firing any gay employees. He put Hoover on the Mattachine Society's newsletter mailing list. In 1964, FBI agents contacted him and told him it was offensive to send the newsletter to the FBI director. That's when Kameny knew the FBI was spying. His name was nowhere to be found on that newsletter. The spying apparently ended in the mid-1970s when the FBI adopted rules forbidding agents from investigating citizens simply for holding dissident viewpoints. That came in the wake of revelations about decades of similar harassment of civil rights organizations. In an amazing paragraph, Randy Schultz writes that in the 22 years covered by the documents released under the Freedom of Information Act, no investigation ever found that the gay organizations were involved in subversive or illegal activities. Thanks to Chronicle reporter Ryan Cost for his help with this episode. Randy Schultz broke that spying story in the Chronicle. You're going to hear his name in this next episode, too. He wrote a book about gays in the military called Conduct Unbecoming. And, of course, he's most famous for his coverage of the AIDS crisis, both for the Chronicle and in his classic book, And the Band Played On. In May, I did two episodes on Randy Schultz. They're both longer than the usual Not Your Century. One is a produced piece about Schultz himself and his AIDS coverage, and the other is an interview with a guy named Andrew E. Stoner, who wrote a biography of Schultz that came out this year. It was called The Journalist of Castro Street. Those episodes are linked in the description of this episode. If your podcast app doesn't display those links, just scroll back to May 13th and you'll find them. All right, let's get to our next episode. It's about the man who became the face of the gay rights movement in 1975, Air Force Technical Sergeant Leonard Matlovich. October 22, 1975, Technical Sergeant Leonard Matlovich, veteran of three tours in Vietnam, recipient of the Bronze Star and the Purple Heart, with efficiency ratings that are the highest possible, is discharged from the Air Force. Six weeks earlier, he'd appeared on the cover of Time magazine. That photograph wasn't coverage of a news event. It was a news event. That was because of the cover line. It appeared below Matlevich's mustache face, above the array of medals on his uniform shirt. It said, I am a homosexual. The cover story was about the gay drive for acceptance. It wasn't Matlevich's coming out. He'd done that in March, writing a letter to his commanding officer. His commanding officer asked him what the letter meant, and he said, It means Brown versus Board of Education. His story went national in May, thanks to a story in the New York Times. By the time he was on the cover of Time in September, he was arguably the most famous out gay man in America. Chronicle reporter Randy Schiltz, in his book about gays in the military, Conduct Unbecoming, wrote that the Time cover was a turning point for the gay rights movement, its first recognition on the cover of a national magazine. Matlevich coming out was a direct challenge to the military's rules against gays in uniform. He had petitioned for a waiver to the rule, and the request went all the way to the Secretary of the Air Force, John McLucas, who personally wrote to Matlevich's commanding officer at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia to say no. 
On October 22nd, Matlevich made his final appeal in U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C. Judge Gerhard A. Gessel agreed to rule on the constitutionality of the military's policy of automatically discharging gays, but he declined to block the Air Force from discharging Matlevich. And Matlevich's 12-year military career was over. Things couldn't have gone better, Matlevich said. He was happy that the judge was taking the case on, even though it didn't keep him in the Air Force. It was my personal loss, but it's going to be our victory. Matlevich said he'd gotten tired of going to work every day, worrying about whether he was going to be found out. So he decided to come out. He got in touch with Frank Kameny, who you might remember from the Not Your Century episode about the FBI's decades-long spying program against the LGBT community. Kameny was a civilian astronomer for the Army who was fired for being gay in 1958, and then he became a leading activist. He told Matlevich, I've been looking for someone just like you someone with an outstanding service record, to make clear the point that the no-gays rule had no basis in anything but prejudice. A few days after his discharge, Matlevich made fun of his squeaky-clean image. He spoke at a fundraiser at the gay disco Pier 9 in Washington, and he said, I guess I'm an all-American boy. I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I don't run around with women. His case wound through the courts for five years, and Matlevich finally won. The judge ordered the Air Force to reinstate Matlevich and promote him. The Air Force offered a six-figure financial settlement instead, and Matlevich took it. He said he was worried they'd come up with some other excuse to discharge him pretty quickly. He had moved to San Francisco by that time, living in the Castro. He took his settlement money and opened a restaurant in Guerneville. In the years following his discharge, he too became a leading activist, raising money in fights like those against Anita Bryant's anti-gay campaigns in Florida and California's Proposition 6, which would have banned gay school teachers. Gay people, regardless of what their walk of life, school teachers or whatever, are American citizens and they deserve the same rights as every other person in this country. He moved to Europe for a while, then back to San Francisco. And in 1986, he was diagnosed with HIV-AIDS. He focused his activism on that epidemic, which was still being ignored by the Reagan administration. He died in 1988, and he was buried in the Congressional Cemetery in Washington. His tombstone there doesn't have his name on it, just the words, a gay Vietnam veteran. Below that, it says, when I was in the military, they gave me a medal for killing two men and a discharge for loving one. The same words appear on a plaque in his honor on the building he lived in, on the northeast corner of 18th and Castro. The last iteration of the military's ban on gays, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, ended in 2011, 23 years after Matlevich's death. It was my personal loss, but it's going to be our victory. An episode about the beginning of Don't Ask, Don't Tell ran on July 19th. This has been Not Your Century, a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief. Get great journalism today at sfchronicle.com. I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to your 